Blog Talk Radio. You want to replay the point? Okay. Mr. Wawrinka wants to replay the point. 15 on. Today is Wednesday, June 21st, 2017. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen, joined as always by Jared Pine of A Second Serb. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. Good to be back on the air with you. Absolutely. It's been a little while, and here we are in the uh, middle week of the three weeks of grass court tournament play prior to the beginning of Wimbledon. And, uh, Jared, a lot, a lot has happened uh, early out of the gate, uh, we're going to start with Queens, where uh, they've lost their top three seeds and the first day, and then uh, the number five seed today. But um, all eyes right now on defending champion, Wimbledon champion, and Queens champion, that is uh, Andy Murray, who's also won Queens five times, uh, gets eliminated by a lucky loser after uh, not having to play a fellow Brit. Mm-hmm. Very surprising in my eyes. How about yourself? Yeah, it is surprising. Um, obviously, Jordan Thompson, a very talented player, we've talked about him on the show before, but still, this is a, a lucky loser that has to then face the number one seed, the number one player in the world, and defending champion. You would think this would be a straightforward win for Andy Murray. Uh, not the case at all here. He He's out in two sets. So, really a big surprise. This isn't one of those cases where you have a top player not giving his best right before a slam, because Andy Murray typically does very well at this tournament and him doing well at this tournament usually leads to success at Wimbledon. So he takes this tournament very seriously, um, is always looking to be lifting the trophy at the end. So for him to be out in the first round, losing to a lucky loser, that that's not a great sign going into Wimbledon for him. Not at all. I, I actually thought that uh, he was scheduled to play fellow Brit uh, Bedane, and I really thought that would be a, a good foundationary match for him, if you will. Uh, he would get his attention right away, being a countryman, and really I thought he would uh, play well as he did at Roland Garros and build on that and, and really take the tournament uh, and feel pretty good about himself and his champion uh, and his chances at Wimbledon. But absolutely, this this doesn't really compute to me. Uh, Jared, we talked about Thompson, as you mentioned on the show, but probably the biggest surprise for me, aside from a straight set loss, is Andy Murray just winning two games in the second set. That's uh, that's a drumming. Yeah, absolutely, especially on grass, which is a surface where Andy Murray's very successful at holding his serve. Um, so you never expect him to lose a set 6-2. Um, a lot of the sets he does lose on grass are a lot closer because he holds holds his serve much more successfully on grass than he does on either hard courts or clay courts. So, yeah, the 6-2 score in particular is very surprising. Obviously, um, a tie break, anything can happen there in the first set. But for him not to bounce back at all um, and really get blown away in that second set was a big surprise. Yep, and uh, that's the number one seed out, Jared. Also, yesterday, number two, Stan Varenka. Nobody really talking about him. He's really not had success on grass his whole career. But then again, he is... uh, one major away, this next one at Wimbledon, from completing the career Grand Slam, as remote as that might be. But um, interesting, Stan 
brought uh, Paul Anacone into his camp for the grass court season. Um, I, I like the move, number one. Obviously, Anacone working with Sampras uh, and Federer, uh, two excellent grass court players. I'm looking at this for Stan more as maybe not uh, getting it done this year, although time is running out on Stan, but he will factor away and file away what he's learned from Paul Anacone going forward in, in, in the future on grass. I think uh, I think this extra ingredient for Stan will be pretty good. Let's talk a little bit about Stan, the fact that he did lose. Feliciano Lopez, obviously a very good grass court player, but um, how far, if at all, uh, do you see Stan getting into the second week of Wimbledon or not so much? Well, he's certainly capable of getting to the second week of Wimbledon. Grass probably is his weakest of the three services. Having said that, he's had great results on grass throughout his career. He's very strong in all three. So grass being his weakest isn't really saying a lot because he still is very good on grass. And now having Paul Anacone in his camp, I think that's a huge addition. Paul Anacone, one of the greatest tennis coaches of all time. So for Stan Wawrinka to have a guy like that in his corner, that's got to be a huge confidence boost. And obviously when you, when you get a new coach, it takes a while for it to actually take effect. You're not going to see immediate success right out of the gate. It takes a little while. So that was the case for Stan Wawrinka. gets off to a slow start. Feliciano Lopez really presents a tough uh, matchup in terms of X's and O's on a grass court. He's very good on grass. And I actually predicted this in my bracket. I, I said Lopez would beat Wawrinka in the first round. And sure enough, he did. Lopez, this is his time of year. He always outperforms himself on grass. He's getting up there in age but it really doesn't matter. The style of play he has just suits the grass so well. He doesn't have to be young and fit to win on grass given his style of play. And so, I mean, he could he could keep doing this on grass for years to come. Yeah, I, I agree with that, absolutely. And uh, the number three seed, Jared, uh, in fact, Wimbledon finalist last year, Milos Raonic, uh, someone that we've really not talked about so much on the show just because he's been absent, if you will. Uh, it's either Milos Raonic is, is leaving a tournament injured, not playing a tournament, uh, getting upset, or uh, when he does pop up, he seems to have a new coach, and he does yet again. Uh, now he's got Mark Knowles in his camp. So, uh I don't know. I still liked when Lubacic worked with Milos Raonic. I really saw the the greatest of results for him. I thought that was a good fit. They're both from the same part of the world originally, and uh, I, I liked all the things that Lubacic did. Obviously, that uh, ended, and Federer is the recipient of having Lubacic in his camp, and we've seen what that has brought. But Milos Raonic, Jared, uh, finalist last year, and nobody's talking about him this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of worrying at this point in his career. Raonic is 26 and hasn't really worked with a coach, any coach, for a very long time. He's constantly shifting. You'd think at this point in his career, he will have identified this is the guy. You know, for Djokovic, it was Marion Vida for years. Nadal was with Tony for years. Federer played without a coach for a while, but for a long time was with Paul Anacone. Probably his most success with Paul Anacone. And you look at Murray whether he's with Lendl or his mom's always been there or Danny Valverde, Murray's had consistent presences throughout his career in the coaching box. For Roundage, it's always been a constant change, and so now he's bringing in Knowles. We'll see how long this lasts by the U.S. Open. I'd imagine he has a different coach, and I just don't think that's the best way to go about it. And so we're, we're seeing some negative results consequently. Of course, you got to give Tanasi Kakanaki some credit. This is a guy who yep. was thinking about giving up on tennis, and now here he is with a straight set swing, doing it in two tie-break sets. If you're going to beat Milos Raonic on grass, 
that's the way to do it. So uh, Kakanakis did a great job protecting his serve and taking advantage of his opportunities in the tie breaks. And, you know, with whenever you play against a guy like Raonic, Karlovich, and Isner, uh, that's the way you got to win. I completely agree. Kalkanakis uh, saved Jared all nine break points against Milos Raonic. That is a job well done. He served exceptionally well. And as you mentioned, always nice to see guys who are uh, on the fence or almost falling off the cliff uh, deciding to chuck it and uh, deciding to play a little bit longer. And, and Stepanek did that as well before he uh, you know, worked his way back in, in the singles by playing a lot of doubles. And so nice to see when, when those things happen. We wish good health to Thanasi Kokonakis and Milos Raonic, for that matter, going forward. And um, Nick Kyrgios, uh, someone who is always going to be in the conversation no matter where we are uh, for the joy, if you will, that he brings viewers and people in attendance the way he plays. Must see, if you will. Uh, unfortunately, the people of Queens uh, didn't even get a chance to see a full Nick Kyrgios match. He did retire as he took a tumble midway through the first set against Donald Young. That was at 4-all. He, he played the rest of the first set, lost a breaker, and then probably a good idea, retired at that point. But uh, he is a question mark going into Wimbledon. Very unfortunate, uh, especially given the way it went down. I for sure thought we'd see Nikirios in the second week of Wimbledon, maybe going even deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's always a threat when he comes into Wimbledon. I think the first time a lot of people heard of Nick Kyrgios was, was when he beat Rafael Nadal at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big way to break through for him. Obviously, he had been around before that, but that was up to that point, I think, his biggest win. And so everyone knows what he's capable of doing on grass. Wimbledon's the the one slam where I think he has the best chance to come away with the title, particularly this year where it's so wide open. So it's disappointing to see him uh, go down with an injury there. Probably a good decision not trying to play through that injury and see what he can do in two weeks' time to try to get his body prepared for the third slam of the year. Because absolutely, I think this year, more so than any other year, he's got a great chance to win it because when you look at the top seeds in the field, none of them are a clear favorite. This is a very wide-open tournament. So uh, Nick Kyrgios certainly has a chance, and now it, right now it's just kind of a physical question mark for him. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree. And, you know, yesterday out of the gate at Queens, Jared, uh, uh, a lot of qualifiers, three qualifiers, one matches, actually a wild card in Kalkanakis, one as well. And so, obviously, match play. We, we've just completed a very lengthy clay court season. Some of these guys, uh, you know, in fact, Nadal not playing anything on grass. Djokovic, we'll talk about him in a little bit, going to play next week. But uh, it's not a long preparation season. And obviously, getting used to conditions and surface, the qualifiers are having a very good run of it, if you will, at Queens. And um, I just want to shift gears a little bit. Gilles Mueller, who we'll talk about more near the conclusion of the show, given the fact that he won a tournament last week, takes out Joe Wilfred Sanga, the number five seed. So we have one, two, three, and five out of Queens. Uh, not really a surprise, given Mueller, who was playing exceptionally well, and Joe Wilfred Sanga really, unfortunately, for the tennis world, not the same since he became a dad. And uh, probably uh, in, in a little bit of a, quote, honeymoon phase, if you will, in, in, in living life, uh, different experiences for Joe Wolfatsanga, but uh, the rest of the ATP field is uh, showing no sympathy, and they're they're taking him out. Yeah, absolutely. I think Joe Wolfatsanga is another guy that's had great success on grass throughout his career. Obviously, uh, everyone remembers the 2011 semifinal 
excuse me, quarterfinal that he had against Roger Federer coming back from two sets down. And this is a time in Roger Federer's career where he was playing some great tennis. He had just reached the final at Roland Garros. So for Songa, that was a huge win. He's always been very successful on grass. I think uh, the, the grass really suits his game really well. So this is a nice win for Gilles Mueller. But I also want to go back to his first-round match against Basilis Javili. He won mm-hmm. – he played in the second set tiebreaker and that second set tiebreaker ended up losing the score 19 to 17. Uh, one of the most incredible tiebreakers we've seen this year. Uh, he loses that bounces back on an outside court, wins a third set six, four and earns it, earned himself a chance to play song on one of the main courts and a uh, huge win for him there. And now his draw has really opened up. Um, let's see what he can do from here. Obviously Chilich still in the top half of the draw, uh, but otherwise, we're looking at Mueller competing for another title. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there have been actually four 21-19 tiebreakers, Jared. We had one uh, earlier in the year. I actually witnessed one in Toronto in the mid-'90s. Akasuso took out uh, uh, Bjorn Pau of Germany, 21-19. Uh, there were probably about 20 people watching that. I was uh, standing over the railing watching that. But, yeah, absolutely good point with respect to the uh, long tiebreaker. Uh, Mueller's got to feel very good about himself the way he's playing. And, uh, you know, in the past we've had young guns and uh, young gun shows, international young guns. How about Denis Shapovalov? Uh, correcting course, if you will, uh, ironically, defeated Kyle Edmund in the first round, came through qualifying, defeated Kyle Edmund, uh, another Brit playing at home. And ironically, Jared, that was his opponent when the Davis Cup infamy took place and Shapovalov uh, was DQ'd as as he should have been. But um, nice win for him over Kyle Edmund. I know the Brits had high hopes for him going forward and uh, competed exceptionally well today in losing in three to Tomas Burdich. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great showing for Shapovalov, a, a big confidence boost for him going into Wimbledon, which he will now be playing in, which is pretty exciting to see. Um, really curious to see how he's going to do there. Um, him being left-handed, I think, gives him a big advantage on grass and just his style of play uh, with the one-handed backhand. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch at Wimbledon this year. He's going to be someone to keep an eye on. And just the fact that he was able to push Thomas Burdick to really the brink, 7-5 in the third set, two tiebreak sets in the first two. I mean, that's really close tennis that he's playing against. Uh, a long-time top-ten player. So this is some great tennis right now for Shapovalov as a qualifier. So he's really going into Wimbledon feeling pretty good about his tennis right now. So I'm excited to see what he can do there. Good call. And uh, the the highest remaining seed, Jared, in Queens is number four, Marin Cilic. This is someone that we've talked about a lot on the show, usually in, in the summer and autumn months, but he has had a very strong first half of the year in 2017. Nice to see. And, uh, again, highest remaining seed, uh, wide open at this point. Why not, Cilic? And uh, curious for your thoughts on, on him the rest of this week and uh, actually where you had him uh, ending up in, in Queens, how far you had him, and uh, also uh, outside uh, legitimate threat at Wimbledon or not so much? Well, we'll start with Queens. I had him in the final beating Grigor Dimitrov in the final, mm. so that's starting to look pretty good because when you look at the seeds that are remaining, Chilich and Dimitrov, one of the few left. So uh, I think feeling pretty good about that prediction right now. I think Chilich is playing some good tennis. His game's always through the grass well. He's gotten himself into trouble by playing some long five-set matches in the first week, mm-hmm. and that kind of he, he's left without much gas in the tank for the second week. 
Um, but I think this year, as I mentioned, this year is wide open at Wimbledon. He's another guy that definitely has a shot. Um, you know, there's no one that's a clear favorite right now. This is one of the most wide open majors we've had in a long time. And Chilich has shown before that he can do well. He's won uh, London before, obviously, is the inf- infamous match against David Nobandin where he kicked the yeah. line judge. Um, but, you know, it's, he still won the title. So we, we've seen him do well on grass before. We've seen him play some great matches at Wimbledon. I think he's certainly a contender for the title. Yeah, I like that. And uh, just a curious question. Uh, this is some uh, Andy Murray defending champ. Obviously, he plays exceptionally well at home in in, in London, uh, in the UK. And yet, you had uh, you had Chilich winning this tournament. What what jumped out at you heading in before the tournament that you said, "Yeah, I think it's going to be Chilich." I, I'm just curious how that came about. Yeah, well, I was looking at Murray's draw. I didn't expect him to lose in the first round, but I'm thinking he's got Query in the second round. We know Query can beat anyone, so that's going to be a tough mm-hmm. one to get through. Then I potentially either Songer or Mueller, so I thought that one would be tough. And meanwhile, Chilich kind of had a pretty easy path up to the semifinals, potentially a meeting with Kyrgios, which would have been tough. But I thought, you know, between Chilich and Murray, I'm, I'm a lot more confident that Chilich is actually playing in this match than Murray. So that's why I picked mm-hmm. Chilich to beat Murray. I just thought, you know, the chances of Murray getting to the final is pretty tough. Um, so I, I picked Murray to lose in the semifinals. And just the, the way Murray has been playing ever since he got to world number one, I think he's had a hard time dealing with the pressure. It's been very tough for him. I think it'll be a good thing for him when he does drop back down to number two, whether that happens this year at Wimbledon or a little bit later in the lead-up to the U.S. Open. It's going to happen sooner or later just because his level of play this year has been so low. Um, at, at any moment, Nadal could pass him. So eventually Nadal, Murray's going to drop to number two. I think we'll see him rebound then, but perhaps not until then. Yep, good, good, very good analysis like that. And uh, before we uh, before we head off to uh, Halle, Germany, Jared, anything else uh, that you'd like to share from Queens? I think uh, we just lost you there for a second. So uh, actually going to continue, and, and we're going to go over to Halle, Germany at this point in time where Roger Federer is back on track. He uh, he got back on, on the winning ways, and he, after a very early exit, in Stuttgart, uh, Roger Federer is won his very first match uh, in Stuttgart. Uh, actually, won his very first match at Halle. And uh, Jared, obviously a shock loss for for Federer in Stuttgart, but uh, back on track. He knows exactly what to do in Halle, Germany. And uh, you know, I think that was a little bit of a speed bump when he lost to Tommy Haas, a, a guy, one of his best friends. They play each other. Uh, you know, in practice courts, Haas knows his game very well, but uh, Federer back on track in Halle. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the loss to Haas is a bit of an anomaly. Um, now he's right back where he wants to be. Uh, I think nice for him to get Yuji Sugita in the first round a little bit of a good way to get some confidence and match play behind him. And now in the second round, he's going to ha- face a much tougher opponent, Misha Zverev. I think that's going to push Federer a little bit more, and that's where we're going to get a real sense of you know, what kind of form do we expect from Federer going into Wimbledon? Is he going to be a, a top contender, as many people are expecting from him right now? Or is, is he still going to have some rust as a result of taking so much time away from the sport? Yep, and um, Tommy Haas, uh, again, uh, 
ironically, Jared, uh, loses to Bernie Tomic. Uh, Tomic did not have to face a break point against Tommy Haas. A nice win for Bernie. Then he, he did lose today. But uh, for all the people on Twitter that uh, question if Tomic actually really cares about playing tennis, a very, very nice win against countryman Tommy Haas in Germany. Bernie's capable. And, uh, you know, he's he's had he, – I know you recall the uh, – battle he's had with Djokovic at, at Wimbledon in the past. He can play on grass, and uh, a very nice win for Bernie Tomic. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, was that 2011 that Tomic reached the quarterfinals and ended up losing to Djokovic, I believe, in three or four sets in the quarterfinals mm-hmm. at Wimbledon? So, I mean, that was back when he was like 18. So, we, we know what he's capable of. We just haven't seen him really progress much in his career since then. He's he's grown physically, but that's just about it. I mean, we haven't seen his ranking go up. It's kind of it's gone up and down. It's been all over the place, and we see his results like that's someone he can beat. He shouldn't be losing to him three and three. I mean, obviously Gasquet is a very tough opponent, and uh, that was a tough matchup for Bernie. But you expect something better than three and three. So uh, still all over the place from Tomic. You just don't know what to expect from him day to day. but, yeah, at least he got the win over Haas, so something positive for him going into Wimbledon. Yep, and uh, we talked about all the seeds departing Queens, Jared. Uh, the number two seed, Dominic Team loses to Robin Hasse of the Netherlands uh, in the second round. I guess I'm, I shrug at that one. I'm really not all that surprised. We know Team is a complete player, but uh, Hasse's got a big game, um, especially on grass and uh, – uh, I never like to say, oh, it's a, it could be a blessing when somebody loses early in a tournament. These guys want match play. They they really do. But uh, I think in team's case, with all the matches he's played, uh, that that's uh, it's not necessarily that he's okay with the early exit, but I think more his fans are okay with it. Yeah, and um, uh, this is a match. This is another one that I picked when I filled out my bracket ahead of time. I picked Posse to beat team uh just a result of team's been pretty forthright about the fact that he does not feel comfortable in grass he feels unsure about how to construct points when he plays on hard courts and clay courts he likes to stand 10 feet behind the baseline um he doesn't like to take the ball on the rise that's just not what he's comfortable with that's something you have to do on grass that's the only way to win matches and so he has to change his game completely from when he goes from the clay to the grass so for him, probably more so than any other player in tennis right now, it's a very difficult transition. Hase, a veteran, much more used to making that transition. So wasn't surprised at all to see the upset there. Uh, a really nice win for Robin. And, um, yeah, he'll be right back in action next week in his home country. So he, he could be playing for potentially a, a trophy next week. Yep, good call. And, and some really interesting matchups tomorrow in Germany, Jared. Kane Nishikori taking on... Kareen Kachanov, uh, uh, all-Russian battle, the veteran Yuzhny against the youngster Rublev. Then we've got Florian Meyer that you and I like, like to talk about. He's in his home country taking on Luca Pui, who won himself a grass court tournament over the weekend. And then Federer Zverev, we talked a little bit about that. And, Jared, the only double bagel victory of Federer's career came at this came in Holly against none other than Misha Zverev in the same round a few years ago. So any of those four matchups that uh, you'd like to dissect a little bit? Well, I'm really curious to see how this matchup goes between Rublev and Yusni. I picked Rublev to upset Ramos. Uh, Ramos not a great clay court, or excuse me, grass court player. 
Um, but I did not see Yusni taking out Karlovich. I thought that was a big win for the Russian. So now we've got two Russians going up against each other in the second round here. Um, just really should be a fun match to see. Rublev, obviously the future of Russian tennis, whereas Yusni has been the leader in the clubhouse as far as Russians go for quite a while now. So, yeah, it's going to be fun to see that, that generational battle there. I think that one's going to be a lot of fun. And then obviously we, we mentioned earlier the – the Zverev-Federer matchup. Um, Zverev's looked up to Federer his whole career and now gets another chance to play him on home soil. I think this one's going to go a little bit better for him. He's had some big matches just in the last 12 months, so I think um, emotionally and mentally he's going to be a lot more prepared for this one, going to give Federer a lot more trouble than he did the first time around. Yep, good call. I like that. And uh, Anything else from uh, Germany before we talk a little bit about uh, some guys not in action this week? Well, it's just a, a great tournament, really a great field when you have four top ten players in, in the event. Uh, this is a true preview of Wimbledon, in my opinion. I think Halla is always placed very similar to Wimbledon. Players that do well there tend to do well at Wimbledon as well. So this is one of the main tournaments out of all the grass events that I kind of look to as, as a preview for what we can expect at the third major of the year. I, I like that, absolutely. And uh, Rafael Nadal, uh, someone who obviously has had a strong clay court season and actually very good results on hard court as well, Jared, even though he didn't win a tournament. That really set the table. He got all the match play he wanted and more on the hard courts uh, and then just backed it all all up on clay, the Roland Garros champion. <coughs> Rafael Nadal opting not to play Queens. Uh, a doctor's note, if you will, saying he needs rest. May have tweaked something. I don't know about that. But uh, I, uh, we've seen plenty of players not play any uh, end of these tournaments. And uh, Federer, I think, has done that, come into Wimbledon, won it a couple times by not playing anything. I, uh, do you think uh, Nadal should have played? Uh, I, I, don't know if, uh, I don't know if rest was necessarily in order, but maybe so, uh, given all the clay court tennis he played. Yeah, this is a bit of a complicated one because of the way um, taxes work in Great Britain. It's it's a little bit complicated. I don't totally understand it, but I know uh, there's a situation where if you spend a certain number of weeks there, you the taxes you have to pay really accumulate really fast. So that's why you see uh, Federer stay out of Great Britain. He'll go play in Germany. Uh, Djokovic tends to stay out of there. It's, that's why it's a bit of a surprise that he's playing Eastbourne. Um, so typically, you see the top players stay away from Great Britain. Murray Bean from Great Britain, he, he doesn't mind doing it, of course. Um, but for a lot of the other top players, they do not play in these events because of just the way it taxes. Yep, I, I hear you. And Djokovic, uh, we talked all going into this. Yep, and we talked a little bit uh, before we came on the air. Djokovic, uh, a very very late entry into Eastbourne, uh, an event he's not played before, uh, just really become an ATP tour stop after being a long-time uh, WTA stop. Martina Navratilova won that, I think, over 10 times. And uh, Djokovic is going to play, so uh, I like the decision. I think he needs match play, could very well win it. You know, we, we've scratched our heads when some guys, uh, John Isner playing Winston-Salem the week before. Stan actually played, uh, you know, he's got a contract to play Geneva the week before uh, Roland Garros. Now that didn't seem to bother him, but uh, I like the fact Djokovic is going to play this. I, I think that's going to be good for him, even if uh, he doesn't win the tournament. I, I think it's crucial for him to get these matches in on grass. 
Yeah, we kind of have an interesting situation developing in which Nadal and Djokovic have really barely missed each other a lot of times this year. I believe they've only played once all year, and they've come. Mm-hmm. They came very close to playing each other in Rome. They came very close to playing each other in Roland Garros, and they probably would have played each other in Boodles, which is the event Djokovic usually plays in lead-up to Wimbledon. This year, Nadal decides to play, and all of a sudden, Djokovic is pulling out. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of a connection there. I don't know exactly. I'm I'm just guessing. Um, it's really hard to know what exactly the thought process was for Djokovic. Obviously, he was out of Roland Garros a little bit earlier than he expected, so a little bit more match play doesn't hurt. Uh, but like I said, he usually plays in Boodles, which is uh, exhibition type. Maybe he thought the best preparation for him would be real match play with real ranking points on the line. And here's the other thing for Djokovic. He always ends up your rankings takes your best 18 tournaments. Djokovic never plays 18 tournaments, so he's <laughs> never maxing out his ranking. Um, yeah. And usually it doesn't matter. Usually he's the number one player in the world by like 5,000 points, so it doesn't matter. Uh, this year, right now, he's number four, so maybe he wants some of those ranking points. Uh, so showing up in Eastbourne and playing for a tournament that matters rather than Boodles, perhaps that made a little bit more sense to him, and perhaps that played into his decision a bit. And um, you being uh, a Djokovic follower uh, ardently, Jared, uh, any update on um, will Agassi spend part of uh, his time at Wimbledon with Djokovic? Or if not, do you know who will be in the box? The latest I've heard is that Agassi will be around. He's still not being paid. Um, He's Mm -hmm. volunteering to do it, which means he might come and go kind of whenever he wants. Djokovic can't tell him tell Agassi what to do because he's not paying Agassi. Agassi is volunteering his time, which makes this Mm -hmm. a very unique relationship. So we'll see how this goes. This is something we really haven't seen before in tennis, Um, but if this is really successful, it could kind of change the way coaching relationships work. Tennis is really tricky with coaching relationships because the player is paying the coach, whereas you don't see that in football. You don't see that in basketball or baseball. Um, the, the coach tells the player what to do and the player has to listen. It, and tennis is a little bit different where the coach says something to the player and if the player doesn't like it, he just fires the coach and that's yeah. the end of that. So this is a little bit different where now Agassi isn't being paid by Djokovic. So he he kind of gets to approach things in a different way and perhaps it's going to be a more fruitful relationship than what you see from other super coaches. So, um, yeah, I'm really curious to see how this goes. This is very interesting, very different from what we're used to, and uh, it could either be a complete disaster or something that revolutionizes coaching in tennis. Yeah, good call. And, uh, you know, here we are, uh, middle of the middle week, Jared. Uh, Murray's 0-1 on grass. Federer got a loss early. Nadal 0-0. Zero zero. Djokovic hasn't played. Stan is 0-1, so the big four slash five, I uh all we've got is one Federer victory so far, uh, you know, uh, amongst all of them, which is which is really wild. Obviously, Fed uh, will probably continue to get some more victories. Djokovic will will get some as well next week. But uh, yeah, the the very top of the game really not showing too much on grass so far. And uh, someone who is Jared Luca Pui won Stuttgart. Uh, very impressive first. Uh, I think it's his third career title. First on grass, uh, defeated Feliciano Lopez in the final. Very good clay court player who uh, we talked a little bit uh, earlier in the show with, with his nice result this week. But uh, Luca Pui, three three set victories, and the only one that went straight sets, I think, was a pair of 7-5. So uh, nice to see him win Stuttgart. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge win for him. And when you mentioned the struggles of the top players, you know, he by himself is outperforming all the top players combined. You <laughs> can even throw Raonic into there, who's yep. 0 and 1. And, you know, so top six players, they have one combined win, and it was by Federer against a lucky loser. That's it. <laughs> um, so this is why I'm saying I think Wimbledon this year is, is as wide open as any major has been since the beginning of the Big Four era. So, uh, opportunity to bounce. Who knows if Pui's going to be the one to take a major. I think that's a, perhaps a bit of a stretch um, at this point in his career. But really, I mean, we're talking it's that wide open. You don't have to be a top 10 seed to be a contender for the title. Um, Whoever is going to take the bull by the horns, um, you know, th- this is what makes this Wimbledon particularly so exciting. I think there's a good chance we could see a first-time major champion crowned at this event. Uh, we really won't know until then, but it's that wide open right now. I agree. And uh, another champion, Jills Mueller, 34 years old. It was just a little while ago where he won his first career title. He got another one in Den Bosch, uh, taking out Karlovich, who, you know, we know what he can do uh, on, on grass of all things. But uh, 34-year-old Jills Mueller takes out 34-year-old Ivo Karlovich, uh throw these guys into the mix when we talk about wide open. Uh, Gilles Mueller can play some tennis on grass, too. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the age of these guys. Tennis age right now, it, it is crazy because of the, that generation from about Del Potro to Dimitrov in age. Everyone in that range has really struggled um, lately in tennis and just hasn't done anything. Um, and that's why you have someone like Alexander Zverev winning the 1,000, and at the same time you have guys who are almost 40 years old uh, doing big things in smaller tournaments. So uh, age, age right now in tennis, it is just a number, as they say, it's it's true now more than ever um, just because the guys who are supposedly the most fit and ready to go, they're not winning, um, which leaves the door open to some of these other guys. And that's why um, you have, you know, the big four all, all in their thirties now still looking to win grand slam titles. Yep. Good call. And, Jared, uh, being on grass, you look at any scoreline, whether it be these tournaments, what we'll see at Wimbledon, or even the Challenger circuit, and uh, you're bound to see a a tiebreaker or two. uh, Or in the case of what happened in Ilkley, uh, three tiebreakers. Quentin Holly, who we've talked about on the show, took out Kravchuk of Russia, 6-7-4 in the first tiebreaker, 7-6-4 in the second tiebreaker, 7-6-3 in the third set tiebreaker. Um, unbelievable the uh, the amount of tiebreakers that we're seeing on, on grass court, but uh, that's the big neutralizer there. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm a big fan of this. I know people don't like what they call serve bots. It's usually used as a derogatory term. I think more tiebreakers is fun. Tiebreak game is the most fun game there is in tennis. It's it's what keeps fans on their feet. It's what produces big upsets. And so I think more tiebreakers is better. That's part of what we love of the grass court season is every single point matters. Break points are hugely important. And if no one converts a break point, we're going to a tiebreaker, which is kind of the equivalent of a penalty shootout in soccer. So uh, mm-hmm. it's always a lot of fun. People are on the edge of their seats. That's what you want as a tennis fan. Obviously it stinks when your favorite players on the raw end of that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, tiebreakers are nothing but pure fun. Um, as a tennis fan, I love it. And I think uh, in general, most people love it as long as it's not happening to their favorite player. 
I agree. A lot, lot of a uh, lot of action going on. A couple ATP tournaments, four challengers right now, and obviously uh, next week, Jared, the week before a uh, major. So we'll have some more action. Djokovic playing as well as Wimbledon qualifying. And so before we wrap up, anything else that caught your attention either last week, uh, this week, or or heading into next week that we can anticipate? Well, yeah, Feder. We've talked about this before. Just the fact that he is. Um, so dominant, Holla. He's dominated that tournament the way few players have dominated any tournament. And when you look at what Nadal did on clay this year, where he won his 10th Roland Garros title, um, he's dominated his tournaments. Now it's Federer's turn, turn to play at his best tournament. And so I'm really curious to see how Federer responds to that. Um, it's just so much fun watching both Federer and Nadal at this stage of their career where every win they have, it seems like they're breaking another record. In fact, uh, Federer's win over Sigita was his 1,000th, 100th victory. Um, that's a lot. So I believe that places yep. him third all time. So uh, just a huge accomplishment for Roger Federer as he continues to climb that all-time wins list. Um, this is what's so much fun about watching both Federer and Nadal at this point in their careers. Completely agree, and uh, I, I like what you said uh, a couple times earlier, that it is a wide-open Wimbledon at this point in time. It is. Uh, there are some question marks with some of the results that have happened last week, this week as well, and uh, yeah, there's some, some gunners coming that are they're playing some very good tennis, and, and we mentioned, Jared, you know, you get into the tie-break uh, format, anything can happen. Somebody playing exceptionally well for a 90-minute period of time, uh, can can make some things happen and knock some names out. We've again we we don't have to look any further than Queens where numbers one, two, three, and five seeds are out. Yeah, absolutely. I think Queens is a great example of that. Hopefully we'll see a little bit better performance from the top seed. These are the guys you typically want to see at the end of the tournament. These are the big um names that draw lots of fans. Uh but at the same time, upsets are a lot of fun. It's uh March Madness but tennis style. And so we love that about the sport. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens with some of the top seeds as we go into Wimbledon. Yep. And uh, any last words before we call it a night, Jared? Well, yeah, just excited about Eastbourne. The Djokovic playing in it the first time. I think that's going to be a really fun tournament to watch, but also still got uh, two big tournaments going on right now in both London and Hollis. So uh, plenty of great tennis as we all get ready for Wimbledon. Absolutely. And so on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night, and we'll catch you next week on Replay the Point. Good night. <laughs>